Good morning, Grace. How are we today? Good, good, good. Well, I want you to know I've been praying for you this week. I'm glad you're here today. I have an acquaintance of mine um, from back in the time I was around in college, and he was one of these guys who was about seven to ten years older than I was, and he had lived, the best way to describe it was, he had lived some hard life, and he had some stories. And so to me, he was following Jesus at the time, but to me as a kid who grew up in church, and had not lived an outwardly rebellious life. His stories were, in some ways, just fascinating to me, and his testimony was powerful. Now, why am I bringing up this guy to you? You know him, or I know him, you don't. Uh, the most unique thing about this guy was on his ankle, all right, in one of those places it's really hard to hide if you're wearing shorts, about yay big, he had a tattoo of a cartoon frog holding a beer, okay? <laughs> I know, right? Now, before we go any further, you do need to know, this is not one of those I have a friend stories, okay? I'll show you my ankle if you need proof, okay? <laughs> Nor is there any shame if you're the one person in this room who has a tattoo of a cartoon frog holding a beer. Don't pull your sleeve down. Grace is going to be a safe place for you today, okay? Now, as soon as I said cartoon frog holding a beer tattoo, many of us said, whew, I think I need to know the backstory on that one, right? I did too. Well, the short version is what you'd expect, right? The classic combination of some inebriation, a dare, some youthful foolishness thrown in the mix, and a lack of understanding of long-term consequences, right? <laughs> but by this point, as, we, as myself and this guy interacted, he was following Jesus. He had a, a family of his own. He was walking with him. We were attending church together. And one day, I just, I had to ask him, right? We were at one of these events, his... his thing was showing. I had to ask him, hey man, two questions. One, I've got to know what that frog is all about. Okay. And two, are you going to get that thing removed or what? Aren't you going to be embarrassed when you have to tell your children about why you have a tattoo of a cartoon frog holding a beer tattooed permanently on your leg? Now I said this is only the way a very young, judgmental church kid, recovering Pharisee could say that, right? And he said, no, uh, actually, Robert, I'm not going to have it removed for me over the last few years. This has become an actual physical reminder of what God's brought me out of, of how he changed my life through the blood of Jesus Christ. And I've got a story to tell. And so I'm actually hopeful that my kids will ask me about it one day because I'll get to tell them about what God has done in my life. And so when someone asked him, what does this frog mean? He was ready to share that with his kids, with a random college student. I've been waiting. Let me tell you what this frog is all about. Now that vision, that of purpose in a person's life is what I want to talk with us about today with the help of God's word. I want to talk to us about a testimony of God working in, in other people's lives, but also working in your life and, how, and why God even works to our day and intervenes in our lives. I want to talk to you about what we're supposed to do when we see God show up in a big or small way in our life. And I want to talk to you about why it matters so much for those who come, we come in contact with, those in our sphere of influence, especially those younger than us in the faith and the next generation. And so what I want to do is with the help of two chapters in the book of the Bible, we're going to be in the book of Joshua, chapters 3 and 4. If you have your Bible with you and you like to follow along, you can certainly do that. If not, we'll make sure the verses are up on the screen for you today. Now from these two chapters, what I'd like to do is I'd like to make three kind of... Uh, 30,000 foot view, high level observations, and then I think point us towards three necessary and corresponding applications to that. 
Okay, these are the, there's a lot more going on in these passages, and you could read it later if you wanted to, but these are the overarching points, I think, of this passage and what the Lord might want us to consider today. But before we do, I think we, it would be wise for us to do just a small bit of background work on where we find ourselves in the context of Joshua chapter 3. For the last few weeks, if you've been with us, uh, Pastor Matt has been walking us through this, uh, weaving us through the narrative of Jacob. And last week, uh, Jacob's name was turned to Israel, the father of Israel. And if you follow along for a few hundred years, the stories of Israel, of God being with them. Of course, you, whether you've seen the Charlton Heston version or the Prince of Egypt version, you've seen that visualization of the Red Sea crossing, right? The Exodus and God's miracle of that. And after that, they wander for 40 years in the wilderness, mainly because of their disobedience and stubbornness towards God, and yet God being faithful even in the midst of their stubbornness and disobedience. And once again, at the end of this 40 years, they find themselves on the banks of the Jordan River, and it's in flood stage. Once again, the people of God are between a body of water with nowhere to go. They've got a new leader in Joshua, and they're on the precipice of finally entering the promised land, the land promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And in chapter 3, God still has something he wants to teach them and show them. I think that's where we find ourselves today in Joshua chapter 3. Now, at this point in history, everyone who was a certain age that could remember the Red Sea crossing had died in the wilderness. If you remember, it's one of, it was actually one of the uh, consequences of their rebellion uh, towards God. And this generation now, standing in front of the Jordan River, of course they had heard those stories. Of course they had heard uh, their grandfather talk to them about Passover night and how their, their family was spared. Of course they had heard maybe their mother and father talk about their experience of walking through the Red Sea. They've probably heard those stories maybe more times than they wanted to. And now they're here. And younger folks, maybe in the way younger folks might have done this, they might have said, yeah, yeah, the Passover, Red Sea, we've heard that before. But all we're getting from God is manna right now. It's not very good. It's not very tasty. What have you done for me lately, God? And so God puts them in this moment where it's their turn, I think, to experience God for themselves in a miraculous way. God's going to do something in their midst so they could experience it firsthand as they face this impassable and impossible situation in this body of water. So God gives his instructions in, in a, a chapter 3. Verse 5, it says, Hey, prepare yourself, consecrate yourself. Tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. I've already done the Red Sea thing. You should remember that. I know you've heard about it, and maybe that should be enough, but I love you. And so in verse 310, he says, This is how you're going to know that the living God is among you. He wants them to experience it for themselves, their own faith. If they're going to trust him for all the things they're going to need to trust him for in the next few years as they take over the promised land, they're going to have to have their own experiences of faith and trust in Jesus Christ. He's with us. He'll take care of us. We can trust the Lord. And so his instructions in verse 3, 8 are this. He says, tell the priests who carry the Ark of the Covenant, when you reach the edge of the water, Jordan's waters, go and stand in the river. Now, go and stand in the river uh, in Hebrew actually means get your feet wet. No, it doesn't mean that. I was just making that up. But that's the idea. Get your feet wet. You're going to need to put your own feet in the water, take your own step of faith, obey God in your life, and then you're going to watch what I can do. They'll have to get their own skin in the game, their own faith in the Lord, in order for them to see the amazing things the Lord wants to do on their behalf. And in this moment, God is simultaneously, in a loving way, connecting them to their history of redemption by doing the same kind of miracle he did for their, their father's generation of splitting the waters, but doing it for them and doing it now in a slightly different way and giving them a hope for their future. 
that he can be trusted. He is not just the God of the past. He is the God of today, and he can be trusted. He's pointing them forward, saying, I am still your God. So I think our first observation that you ought to make out of this passage is that I think God wants every person to have their own miracle story. He wants every person who walks with him to have their own stories of how God has intervened in their life in a way that they cannot explain. God knows what's about to happen as they enter the promised land. They will not be able to rely on a faith in the past. And so the Lord's asking them to obey so that he might show up and be faithful in their lives and intervene. Now we say this around here at Grace, um, you do the easy stuff, let God do the hard stuff, right? Matt said that a few times, is a great example of this. Israel, just do the easy stuff. Just go put your feet in the water and I'm gonna show up and I'm gonna do something in your midst that you won't be able to explain. And so where are those places? Where have you seen in your life where you have uh, put your faith in Jesus? You have taken a step of faith. You have obeyed him in some way and you said, God, you're gonna need to do something here because I don't know how this is gonna work out. He wants each of us, I think, to see his intervention and his work in our own lives. And so when those moments happen, happen. And I hope they have happened in your life. I hope that as we've, as we've spoken, at least one thing has come to your mind, how you've seen God intervene in your life in a way you cannot explain. But when that happens, I think we're supposed to become, our first application is this, people who are great at naming our miracles. Name our miracles. If you've walked with God long enough, you've got to have some kind of story. Maybe it's big, maybe it's small, right? We didn't know how we were going to pay the rent. Our kid had that infection, and that five-day hospital stay tested us in ways we, we, we've just never recovered from because God was faithful in that. I used to be a bitter and angry man, but after a decade of following Jesus, I don't know how to explain it to you, but I'm just not that way anymore. I'm an anxious and fearful woman, and I can't explain to you, but the fear is gone. The cancer just disappeared or the cancer didn't disappear, but I could rattle off a list of 15 ways God was faithful even in the cancer. God is still working in our lives. He is not this aloof watchmaker God who spun it up and let it go. He's still active. And we don't have to rely on stories from other people. We can literally get our feet wet and go watch him work in our lives in big and small ways. And when he does that, we ought to become people who are good at naming those miracles, those miracles of healings, of job provisions, of answered prayers after years of praying for something, or just that thing God does where we need something right in this moment, and in some way it just happens, and we don't know how to explain it. If God hasn't done a miracle in your life, if you haven't seen God working, intervening in your life in some while, I really do hope that you might be able to ask a friend, hey, how have you seen him work in your life? Because I think we all, followers of Jesus, should have these stories. Maybe it's one, maybe it's two, maybe it's 50 of stories of how God has intervened, how he's shown up to do something that we could not explain because he is in this business of miracles and intervention in a way he, we can't explain so that he gets the credit for it and he gets the glory for it. Those who walk with God will have stories of these interventions in their life, and there's no other way. Only God could have done that. Some are big, some are small. But I'm telling you, you can't walk with God very long. I think the the heart of God is that you can't walk with God very long. You can't put your faith, you can't put your feet in the waters of faith and obedience to Jesus Christ before he wants to give you, even if it's just a small experience of how he is faithful and how he will intervene. 
So the first thing we notice is that every person needs their own miracle or intervention story of God in their life. And that we be wise, I think, to recognize those and name those. Like the classic old hymn used to say, right? Count your blessings, name them one by one. Now, as the story progresses, the people get across the Jordan River. God does the miracle. He parts the waters. It dries up on one side. They walk across on dry land, and they've experienced this miraculous intervention in the same kind of way as their their father's generation did, but in a different and unique way. And then God instructs Joshua to do something next. And that's what we'll pick up in Joshua chapter 4, verse 1. When the whole nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Choose twelve men from among the people, one from each tribe, and tell them to take up twelve stones from the middle of the Jordan, from right where the priests were standing, and carry them over with you and put them down at the place where you stay tonight. And so Joshua did this. He called together the twelve men he had appointed from the Israelites, one from each tribe, and said to them, Go over before the ark of the Lord your God into the middle of the Jordan. Each of you is to take up a stone on his shoulder according to the number of tribes of Israelites. Verse 3, grab a stone from the, from the middle. The only way you could have accessed these rocks is if God had acted. He instructs them to stop and do something so they will remember what just happened in their lives. Verse 6, the next verse says, this will serve as a sign among you. Verse 7, these stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. It will serve as a sign among you, a memorial forever. It will point to this moment in time when God did something. And so our second observation, I think, today is that every person needs to remember what God has done. Every person needs to remember what God has done. God knows the importance of remembering that our our future faithfulness to him in a lot of ways has to do with our past remembering of how he's been faithful to us in the past. There's this critical link between our ability to remember rightly and our ability to live with Jesus going forward. And we'd like to think it wasn't the case, but we are people who are prone to this spiritual amnesia. We have this remembering problem. I have a friend of mine who, um, the best way I know to describe it is he works in an industry, kind of a field that is very volatile, very up and down. And so it doesn't matter it doesn't matter um, which company he's working for. Every three to four years, there's this, uh, there's this anxiety and fear of who's going to lose their job, this pruning layoffs. I know, I know many of you maybe, maybe you've had that experience before. And the last time this happened, I was trying to encourage him and, and, and talk to him about it and just be a good friend. And he was naturally anxious about what are we going to do? How are we going to pay the rent? we got a mortgage now. What's going to happen? And without trying to minimize his experience at all, and I was not trying to do that at all, I was just trying to be a good friend. And I kind of said these words, and I kind of just stumbled out. I said, hey, this sounds a lot like three years ago. You remember how God got you that job that came out of nowhere? I know you had to wait six months. I know it was tight for a long time. You had to recover a long way. Hey, God was faithful to you then. He took care of you. You can trust him, friend. Remember, he loves you. Don't forget that. This, this idea, this theme of remembering is prevalent through the whole Bible. We're in the book of Joshua, right? The, the book right before it, Deuteronomy, there's over 20 commands for God's people to remember or to not forget. The very next book of the Bible in Judges, there's this problem that arises in Israel, and the whole thing starts because, as, the, as they say, quite literally, they did not know the Lord or the work he had done for Israel. They forgot. The New Testament is full of this as well, right? That's the reason Jesus institutes a meal, a communion meal, so that they will do this in remembrance of me because you're going to need to remember this. 
And he says this so many times and weaves this, this kind of theme throughout the scriptures because we are people who are prone to forget. We can live lives with God's blessings all around us and we just fail to see them. So what's your strategy for remembering? How are you going to do that? How are you going to fight? Or what's your battle plan for the spiritual amnesia that besets us as human beings? I think we learn here from this, from this passage in light of God's instructions to Joshua to set up these 12 stones that they would remember. I think the example for us is pretty clear that we ought to be people. Our second application is this, that physical are miracles. We physical are miracles. We put something physical, visible, tangible, and attach it to the Lord's intervention in our life. The Lord commanded Joshua, right? Set up these stones next to this river so that every time you come here, it'll be a sign among you a memorial forever. Every time you look at that post-it note on your mirror, you'll remember. Every time you wear that shirt, you won't forget that day. Every time you drive by that mile marker, you'll, you won't forget. Every time that song comes on that got you through the darkest of seasons in your life, you'll remember of God's faithfulness to you. When you read that passage of scripture and you see that little note you wrote last time, you won't forget what the Lord's already done in your, in your life. I mean, for crying out loud, when it comes up in the Facebook memories feed, right, you won't forget what God has done because you went ahead and put it there and Facebook did it for you, all right? You won't be tempted to forget all that the Lord has done in your life because you physicaled those miracles. God's saying your ability to live by faith in the future has a lot to do with how well you remember how faithful he's been to you in the past. And we have a tendency to forget And so we need to be people who battle this idea of spiritual amnesia by being the kinds of people that physical are miracles. So as a gift to Israel in this moment of miraculous intervention, God says, time out. Before we go any further, we need to do something so that you will remember, construct this testimony, this historical marker, this physical walk by it, see it on the way to work or school reminder of God's goodness in their life. And so God instructs the people to do this and to set up this memorial remembrance so it would serve as a sign among them. And I think that serves as our reminder that we have to find ways to physical our miracles, physical the reminders of God's intervention in our life, and actively, not passively, put those in our path so that we might be reminded of God's goodness. And fight our spiritual amnesia because we are fantastic forgetters. Next, Joshua gives them a specific reason why they should do this. And that's kind of our last observation for the day. Not only were these stones there for the sake of their remembering, but these stones were going to serve another purpose as well. And we pick it up in verse 21 of chapter 4. He said to the Israelites, In the future, when your descendants ask their parents, what do these stones mean? Tell them, tell them Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the Jordan before you until you had crossed over. And the Lord your God did to the Jordan what he had done to the Red Sea when he dried it up before us until we had crossed over. And so our third observation, I think, is this, that every person needs to be ready to tell the story. Every person needs to be ready to tell the story. I love how in verse 21 it says, in the future when, not say if. Could have said if. In the future, when? The natural curiosity of people, especially children, will take over. Your kids will ask you, why? So much so that you're just like, leave me alone. Gee, why? Enough with the why already. But even as adults, we're naturally curious, and we want to know things. And so Joshua speaks and says, when they ask about what these stones mean, when they ask, what do these stones mean? What's this about, Dad? 
Why do you always carry that around in your purse, Mom? Grandpa, why do you always say that? All right, Tom, what's that thing on the corner of your office desk that I always see? Michelle, you've got a little patch on your backpack at school. What is that? Uncle Bob, there's those things on your mantle. They look really weird. What is that all about? Grandma, why do we always drive down this road? When they ask, what do these stones mean? You tell them. You tell them that Israel crossed on dry ground. You tell them of the Lord's deliverance and tell them of the miracle he's done on your behalf. The Lord your God acted. He dried up the river. You crossed over just like he did the Red Sea. And then he clues us in on the big why. I love knowing why. I love it when the Bible gives us a, a, a picture of why. Verse 24. He did this. What's the this there? It's he acted in this way. He performed this miracle. He intervened in your life in some way. And he instructed you to make this memorial so that, so that all the peoples of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful and so that you might always fear the Lord your God. He acted, and he did it for two reasons. One, so that all the peoples of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful. When you physical your miracles, when, you, when there, there's an outward benefit to those around you, that the hand of the Lord is still powerful and still acting, and your life is just a small portion of that. And there's another benefit as well, that, that you might always fear the Lord your God. So there's, there's external benefit to others around us, and this internal benefit as well. Most of us are in this room because someone at some point did this for us. Their life testified to the goodness of God, and they were willing to share that with us. And so when God acts in your life, it is for your benefit, but it is not just for your benefit. When he acts, and he has been acting, it's not just for your benefit. It's for, it's for someone else's benefit as well. There's another generation coming behind us, and they will need to know. And their ability and to trust and obey God will come in due time as they experience uh, the, the grace of God in their own life, as they walk with him. But our call is to stand ready to testify to the Lord's goodness in our own life. And so let's orchestrate our lives in such a way that the kids in our neighborhood and our sons and daughters and the people at our, uh, our coworkers and our teammates on the soccer team might ask the question, what do these stones mean? What do these stones mean? So because of this, I think the third uh, application for us is pretty clear. We're called not only to see the Lord's intervention in our lives and name those, and then somehow to maybe physical those so that we have a reminder of those and we'll actually remember it. But I think our call today is to pass it on, to pass it on, to stand ready to testify to the God's good work in your life. Find a group of people younger than you or younger in the faith than you and do this. Our church is, is made for this. Right? That's what, one of the reasons church exists, that we could all testify to the Lord's goodness together. And so find a group of three-year-olds or third graders or 11th graders or 40-year-old men or 60-year-old women and testify to how God has been working in your life. A lot of ink over the last decade has been spilt on this, um, this kind of growing dilemma about a generation that's coming behind us that's quote-unquote leaving the church or leaving the faith. Right? There's been a lot of um, research on this a group called the nuns. And for what seemed like a few years, you literally could throw a rock in any direction in a Christian bookstore and find a book about what the problem was and how to fix it. So long as there's been mothers and fathers um, there, and anxiety about, there's been anxiety about the next generation. Will they or won't they have, the, have our faith? Will they follow Jesus? What's the remedy? And there was been a lot of blame passed around. It's the church's fault. It's parents' fault. It's the generational differences. I'm telling you, Grace, from God's word, that part of the answer 
is to surround the next generation with men and women who are testifying to God's goodness in their life. And they might even be putting out the physical bait in hopes that their kids would ask. Give someone else a front row seat to the grace of God in your life. And don't be afraid to throw out the physical bait that might have them stumble into an opportunity where they might ask, what do these stones mean? When you're passing through your hometown, tell your teenager, that stoplight. That's the stoplight that almost ruined my life had it not been for God's grace. What those coming behind us need is to be surrounded with the testimonies and the markers of how God has worked in our lives. They are going to need to see God's grace in their own life in order to follow Jesus. They are. But how will they recognize the pattern of how God works if it's not for men and women who are further down the road with them telling them, this is how God has worked in my life? How will they recognize that? How will they, they need help connecting the dots. And so where's that place in your home where you have the physical reminders of God's goodness to you? Where might you be subversively acting, hoping that someone might ask you the question, hey, what's that all about over there? So that verse 24 might come true so that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is powerful, and so that you might always fear the Lord your God. Joshua would say, these boulders, these stones, they're here today because the Lord saved you. You did not drown. He's faithful and good, and you can trust him. So stand ready to pass it on for those who would come behind us and say, what do these stones mean? I have a stack of these. It's just a poker chip, but I have a stack of these in my, um, on the corner of my desk. And they're there, um, not because I'm a huge gambler or anything, but um, they're there because I was at a men's event back in 2007. And the speaker there, this was when poker was all the rage, right? And uh, there's a speaker there talking about how life with Jesus had, it had to be an all-in endeavor. That was his metaphor. It has to be all-in. You've got to put all your chips on the table. And I was at this event because I was at a time in my life where um, probably the hardest season of my life, actually, as I look back on it. The Lord seemed real distant in some ways. Um, I was really struggling. And the Lord used that moment, I think, in a way I can't explain to speak into my heart in a way that he didn't. He doesn't do that very often, but speaks directly to your heart. And he said, hey, I got you. I'm going to take care of you. And so these, these chips, they sit on the corner of my desk. There's a stack of them. And they're kind of a daily reminder um, to me. Um, that I have to be all in in regards with my walk with Christ. There's no hedging my bets and that, and that being all in with Jesus is still the safest bet on the planet. And they sit there as a daily reminder to me that uh, when I need a daily reminder to say, it's already been decided. I'm spoken for. I'm all in with Jesus, wherever, whatever. It's all, I'm in. Now, people have come into my office a few times over the last few years and maybe they've asked hey, what's the, what those poker chips about? And I've done what I've tried to do with you, which is say, hey, here's, here's why there's poker chips on my desk. But the greatest blessing to me is that uh, a couple of months ago, uh, my oldest and I were walking to my office. We were gonna get some stuff before we left church and uh, before we left. And he, he, and the coolest thing about it is they've been playing with these things for, for years. They come in there, they, they mess with them, they spill them. And, and my oldest finally said, dad, what do you have these for? What, what, what are these, Dad? And oh, the benefit to this young man to hear his father say, let me tell you about how faithful Jesus is. Let me tell you about how much the Lord can be trusted. Let me tell you about how your dad has decided to be all in with Jesus, and I hope you do one day too. 
What are those there for, Dad? Man, son, I am so glad you asked. And so, Grace, today, this narrative is in front of you and I, and you're here by God's design so that you would know, one, that it's God's desire that everyone have their own story of God's intervention and work in their life. You would not have to rely on someone else's work of God, someone else's story, a father, a grandfather, a neighbor, but you could put your own feet in the water and see what God might do and watch him work. And when he works, and he will work, be the kind of man or woman that gets really good at recognizing those and name those miracles. And once we've named them, I think it's God's desire, secondly, that you would be the kind of person that would remember his goodness and intervention in your life. Because we all have this spiritual amnesia and we are so good at living this kind of what have you done for me lately, God kind of, kind of attitude in life. And you'd be well served that once you've named those, that you would somehow put something physical around those to help you remember because you do have this spiritual amnesia thing. Build those physical reminders of God's goodness into your life, into your pathway. And once you've seen God work in your life, once you've named them, once you've physical those reminders, I think lastly, God wants you to know that every person, every believer, every disciple of Jesus Christ, if he's worked in your life in any way, Yes, that was for your benefit, but it was not just for your benefit. We have a responsibility to pass that on and to tell the story. And because of the natural curiosity put into us by God, people might stumble into that question, into a God-ordained opportunity, and might ask, what do these stones mean? And our call is to stand ready to say, I would love to tell you what those stones mean. I'd love to tell you why there's a stack of poker chips on my desk. I'd love to tell you about how God miraculously worked a very good work in my life. I'd even be willing to tell you why there's a cartoon frog tattooed on my leg. So what do these stones mean? I'm so glad you asked. Let me tell you about what God did. Let's pray. Father God, you have proven yourself faithful and good in so many ways. And our very lives, God, are a testimony to your faithfulness and your grace towards us. But Father, we even recognize that we aren't even aware of all the ways you've been so gracious to us. But our desire, God, is that we would be the kind of church and we would be the kinds of men and women who notice your goodness and intervention in our lives. We'd be aware of all the many ways that you've been faithful and good to us. And that we'd be found faithful to pass that on to people in our sphere of influence. In these last moments of worship, Father, we desire to praise you, give our thanks, and to give you glory for being the God who still intervenes and works miracles in the lives of people who in faith put their feet in the water. We bless your name, Father, and ask these things in your Son Jesus Christ's name. Amen.